Good morning, everyone. <laughs> it's good to see everybody. I was touched by what everybody shared, and I was touched by what Rich shared, I think because that's an aspiration, right, what we say in the morning of who we want to be as people and the type of people we want. So to think that we could come close to living that out. Ah, feels lovely. So we're going to start with a very quick survey. You need to get out your phones because this is one of the barcode things that I've learned about in the last few months. Um, so press your... Everybody knows how to do that. I don't know how to do it. <laughs> um, so when they have it, are you all looking at the survey now? Okay, so... We'll just read it together really quickly. I enjoy serving others, substitute, helping, caring for, meeting the needs of. Five, being the most accurate. Yeah, I love serving others. One, eh, not so much. Two, I enjoy being served, substitute, uh, help, cared for, having my needs met by others. Yeah, that's really true, or ooh, that feels kind of creepy. <laughs> One, um, and then the last two, I enjoy both being served and serving. Five, that would be so true about myself. One, not so much. And the final one, leave me alone. I don't want to help or help others so much. I'm happy doing my own thing in life. So, are you all done? Okay. This is quick, like don't overthink it. Okay, we got it. So someone has to help me understand this. What? <laughs> oh, I enjoy serving others. Okay, so the first one, a lot of people enjoy meeting the needs of others. I got it. Okay, <laughs> I did not do well in math either. Um, the second one is a little bit, I enjoy being served, that's a little bit more spread out, right? And then the last two, I'm curious. Okay, <laughs> um, I really enjoy, I ne enjoy neither serving or being served. So that means there's a number of people who, what does that last one mean? Oh, that they don't, that many people agree with it? Disagree. Disagree. Okay. All right. Clearly after this, we've learned some people like being served, some don't, and I need remedial lessons in how to <laughs> read the graphs, but I'm sure you guys are doing well with it. All right. Well, that's what we're going to talk about this morning, so let's pray. Jesus. Yeah, just help us to take a couple deep breaths. Thank you that you are the breath of life, Emmanuel. That we can breathe you in. God, be with us this morning as we look a bit inside ourselves. Amen. 
A friend of mine um, is trying to help her two elderly and struggling parents in this season. They have normal challenges that go with aging, but recently dad had a stroke and mom had surgery, and my friend was helping during mom's um, recovery. And she described it as one of those times where every week there are seven different doctor's appointments, and she said trying to help is rewarding, frustrating, heart-wrenching all at the same time. My friend was telling me specifically how hard things are for her dad. Her dad is in his 80s, and he's been a pastor and a scholar for decades. He served as a CEO for um, an organization fighting world hunger, um, and he's actually counseled presidents. So recently, his routine has included going to Panera, driving to Panera, meeting with some friends, having coffee and breakfast, and then going to work out. But since his stroke, he can't do any of those things. My friend put it this way, she said, my parents used to be advisors, and now people are advising them. They used to be independent, and now they depend on others. They lived their lives in service of others. Now they are being served. She says their core identities are being challenged daily. Can I have water? Um, while there's times and seasons in our lives where our abilities to give or receive are constrained by our circumstances, most of us have the opportunities for giving and for receiving um, regularly, though we might have proclivities one way or the other. One might be more comfortable, which is what we were doing with our survey. What I want to propose this morning is that regardless of whether or not you're whether you're better at giving or receiving or more comfortable, that our invitation is to live a life where we're practiced at both, and if we're weak in either aspect, that we work to understand why, that we're kind to ourselves, and that we try to find a healthier equilibrium. And I would take this further to say that healthy relationships uh, friendships include that reciprocal dance of giving and receiving. So the Ecclesiastes writer puts things in opposition to each other. And I'm just going to read a few lines, thank you, um, from the familiar poem. There's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down, a time to build, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance. The contrast that the author employs is a fun literary device, but it suggests that things that are diametrically opposed, like giving and receiving, are essential to our thriving. So Matthew 8.14 gives us a perfect example of this. 
Jesus just finishes a healing binge. He's healed physically ill, mentally ill, spiritually ill people, and he finally gets to Peter's house to rest. And it says this, when Jesus came to Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left, and she got up and began to wait on him. So it kind of reads like a choreographed dance of serve, be served, serve, be served. From the time Jesus is a baby till his moments on the cross, he depends on the kindnesses of others. And in the story that we're looking at this morning, Jesus goes to great lengths to get this idea of reciprocity across. This is in John chapter 13, starting at verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to be with God. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that God had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. No, said Peter, you will never wash my feet. Like, I can serve you, Peter's saying, I can absolutely serve you, but there's no way, especially not this way. It's beneath you, it feels wrong. Jesus answered, unless I wash your feet, you have no part with me. Unless you allow me this act, everything else doesn't matter. If I can't serve you, you are completely missing it. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. In that dusty, dirty world where the Disciples wore sandals and their feet were the dirtiest part of their body. Jesus insists on getting on his hands and knees and washing the disciples' feet. We skip to verse 12 where we get to our explanation. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and he returned to his place. Do you understand What I've done for you, he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that's what I am. Now that I am your Lord and teacher, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So there's God, and then there's everyone else. 
all of us. And as far as everyone else goes, there is no hierarchy or no val a value in God's kingdom or kingdom. This is my command. God says, wash each other's feet, serve and be served, even going so far as saying if we can't receive from others, our relationships are seriously limited. Now, for many years, I read this story and I heard it preached as a story commanding me to serve. If I love Jesus, I wash the feet of everyone that I encounter in life. But clearly, it's a story of reciprocity. If I wash someone's feet, someone is on the receiving end. For the rest of our time, I want to explore um, two thoughts. One is how our childhoods might predispose us in one way or another to be a foot washer or a uh, foot washing receiver. And two, why this message of reciprocity is so important that it is the last act in the book of John before Jesus goes to the cross. So think of it, this is a story like you're leaving the place you've worked and this is your last conversation or you're, you're uh, moving and you're saying to all the people you're leaving behind, hey, would you remember this one thing? Like, or you're at the end of your life and you're talking to your loved ones. This is what I want you to know. Like, why is this message so important? So first, how we grew up. Um, and you're just going to have to be telling yourself your own story, ask your own questions. But for me, it looked like growing up in the youngest, the youngest in a family. I've talked about this before, but that he had a very capable firstborn male, big deal in a Jewish family, um, and a very capable older sister. I used to say Sharon knows the right way of freezing red peppers, which was, quote, for she knows everything. And I felt great about that. My sister and brother were quite in tune with the needs of my family. Not only was I the youngest, but I had um, bad asthma, landing me in hospital, the hospital a couple times a year, and not breathing can be vulnerable, um, lands you more on the receiving side of things. So I would say that receiving was in my DNA. I was more comfortable receiving and how I grew up. I didn't feel intuitive when it came to meeting the needs of others. It kind of scared me or made me feel anxious, like how do I know that I'm doing the right thing or is this intrusive in some way? Now that said, I have friends who grew up in homes where the instability of their home meant that they were never thinking about their own needs. They were just really thinking about how to bring more stability to their home. And I have one friend who says this, being the oldest of three children in an unstable family, struggling to cope with alcohol addiction, so not her own, she was a child, I quickly learned the value of making myself invisible. She says things like wants or needs only added to our chaotic family life. 
So I tried to have as few of those as possible. Instead, I focused on school because I thought good grades might make my parents happy. And I tried my best not to rock the boat or do anything that would add to the chaos of our home. Perhaps not surprisingly, a childhood spent attuned to the needs of others left me completely in the dark about so much of my true self. She says, I grasped on to what did feel comfortable and familiar, which was anticipating and meeting the needs of others. I'm good at that, she says. I do it all the time. At the same time, I try to make sure no one would have to see or deal with the vulnerable parts of me. She says, it took me a full decade of adulthood before I realized that I was keeping part of myself walled off to the people I cared about. And I would say the better part of a decade is short. I think we spend our lifetime working on the patterns that we uh, grow into. I thought that maybe my relationships could grow richer and more authentic if I could learn to be more comfortable receiving the love, care, and help so frequently offered by those around me. She goes on, right when the pandemic started, I found myself in a very vulnerable family situation. It was unexpected and it was real. I made a decision at that moment to intentionally say yes to all offers of help. This was not easy for me. I noticed all the shame and all the panic that arose, and I worked hard to get healing for those parts of myself. It was hard for a while, but in the end, it became easier. She ended saying, I may never be fully comfortable on the receiving end of a relationship, but I have found it to be true that opening myself up to this vulnerable to me way has made space for deeper, more authentic relationship with people I love and with the community. So asking again, where are we more comfortable giving or receiving and how do we practice? The second thing is, that we have talked about this whole thing of giving and receiving pretty benignly. Like, oh, I have a proclivity towards this. Yeah, my proclivity is kind of towards giving, but I've learned over the years how to give. Um, we've named giving and receiving as practices that we're invited to hone, which we are. Um, something to be aware of, but I do think that there can be a darker side to this, especially in our culture, that rewards giving. And I think that Jesus is warning against this. So giving or generosity can be one-sided, right? And our society rewards magnanimity. I promise saying it. I practice saying it so many times. <laughs> um, public generous giving, but it's complicated. First, we have to live a life devoted to accumulating our wealth so that we can become magnanimous people. 
which of course not everybody has the privilege of in the first place. And then from that place of generosity, we receive accolades, lovely public uh, opinion, humanitarian awards. Oh, she's so generous. There are a lot of ways of practicing generosity that never arrive at the kind of healthy giving and receiving balance that Jesus is inviting us into, whether financially, socially, or personally. We can give and give and give, still being independent, still maintaining power, and attentive primarily to our own amassing. This is an example of what Tom talked about a couple weeks ago when he was talking about the ways we can interpret Jesus calling Levi the tax collector. Tom talked about um, the interpretation where Jesus is helping or saving Levi, a sinner. And when we help, when we save people in this way, it means you and I get to do what we've been doing. We keep going on. We keep accumulating. We can continue to exploit whoever we exploit, continue to amass our wealth. We are admirable, maybe even heroic. Jesus dispenses with the label of sinner and calls Levi the person, the man, not to save him, but to say, we need you, Levi. We need what you know. We need what you've learned. We need who you are. There's a book that maybe some of you have read or heard of called Winner Takes All, The Elite Charade of the Changing World. And in it, the author looks at young people who are struggling with some of the implications of capitalism, specifically who benefits and who doesn't. These particular young people in the book go on to make huge, huge, huge amounts of money, but now in order to justify the system that has worked for them, the same system that they once questioned, um, they give lots of money away, and they become the new philanthropists. And it's not that the act of giving in itself is ever the problem, like we think that is a good thing. It's when our giving covers up a system that favors certain people and harms others. The act of giving and receiving goes beyond our choices of generosity or how well we allow others to meet our need. The act of giving and receiving invites us to understand the systems we participate in and the need to change those systems so that everyone, right, everyone, as Jesus says, has the opportunity to have their feet washed and to be the foot washer. I'll close with this. Um, serving is still harder for me when I'm not in a role that supports it. Most of my life I'm in a role that supports it as a grandmother and a mother and a pastor. But it is not always intuitive to me. I still second guess myself. I still can wonder if I'm imposing or not 
um, if I'm reading the situation right. And I get a little social anxiety. I think Tom is similar. I actually didn't ask him how he filled out the survey. It could be our car ride on the way home. <laughs> I probably shouldn't analyze him right now. Um, <laughs> but last week, Tom and I were on a snorkeling vacation. We have discovered in the last few years that we love to snorkel. And so once a year, we try to do that. And we spend a few days just snorkeling. And uh, it's the end of the day, and I was walking back and forth along the beach, and Tom was still in the water because really from the second we get off the plane, he gets in the water and doesn't get out till we get back on the plane. Um, the beach was fairly empty by this point. Most people were gone. And I'm just kind of walking and relaxing and in my own kind of headspace, and I notice a couple, when I'm making my back and forth laugh, I notice a couple still there. And in one of my walking towards them, I see the woman is sobbing like really hard in what could have been her husband, I don't know, in man's arms who was holding her. And I tried to look away, but... Um, my heart was grabbed, and my mind spun out wondering, like, what grief they held, thinking about the times in my life that I have cried that hard and the reasons behind it. And I don't know if it's a woman thing, because that sounds really gendered for our community, so maybe it's just a me thing, because I kind of wanted to go up to her and tell her about my own sadnesses and have a moment. I would never do that. Um, <laughs> but eventually, Tom got out of the water, and we walked a bit back and forth as the sun was setting, and the couple I noticed was long gone. On our way home, we were driving, and it's uphill, kind of in the middle of nowhere for quite a long stretch. We see two people walking on the road. We drive past, and at the same time, we both say, should we go back and offer those people a ride? Now, I have to say, as a general rule, we never offer strangers a ride um, for all kinds of reasons. Um, but picking up strangers is not our, our thing. Um, and and uh, yeah, we don't do that. But we both said it at the same time. So Tom backs up, and I get out of the car, and I'm screaming, hey, do you guys want a ride? And quickly, they're running toward us. Um, and they get in the car, and of course, I discover it is the couple. And the woman has red, puffy eyes, and her husband's arm is around her. And of course, I'm kind of done in just seeing her and uh, wondering. And um, they told us where they were heading, and we just chatted for a few minutes. Um, and I think the wife maybe sensing our anxiety a little bit. But she said to us, listen, you guys, and she was, I'd say, maybe five years older than I am. Um, but she said, listen, you guys, 
we've had a terrible loss this year. And we came here to heal. And she was teary and her voice was quavery. And she said, I have to say, in a world that seems bereft of kindness, you have no idea what it meant stopping for us. Obviously, it was a small thing on our part. And it cost us nothing but a little uncertainty and a moment to practice what maybe we're both a little anxious about, uncomfortable with. But in the end, had an opportunity to encounter God. So we're going to transition into communion. Um, and I'm going to invite you to take communion just as you always do if you want. But if you're here with friends or relatives or strangers who you feel like having a more intimate moment with, um, uh, and the band can come forward. Like, sometimes we get communion and we just take it and we break the bread and we dip it in the juice and we take it and it's kind of a us and Jesus thing. But if you're here with people and you want to experiment a little bit, you can play with ways. Maybe you take the bread and dip it and put it in someone's hand or take the bread and put it in their mouth and take, take the bread and put it in your mouth or you can be creative with however you want to do that. Um, but we are going to move into a time of communion. Um, so let me pray. Jesus, the whole thing of giving and receiving is tricky. Probably most of us have a proclivity one way or another. Some of us maybe stronger than others. That's okay. We have all kinds of reasons for that. But I do thank you for your story that none of us are you. We're just kind of earthlings, kind of with opportunities to care and be cared for and care and be cared for. Be with us as we transition now into communion and into musical worship. We love you, Jesus. Amen.